Hi, welcome to Healthy Wealthy Roots, a podcast about financial wellness, mental health, and parenthood. I recently had a conversation with someone who had started seeing a new therapist, and I mentioned that their therapist may be planning ahead for their next conversation. And my friend was surprised and said, wait, my therapist thinks about me? And I realized that to me, that's common knowledge, but for most people, maybe they don't know that. And I guess if you don't have therapists in your personal life, then there may be things about our profession that you may not know. So that's why I wanted to make this episode. Number one on my list, therapists really do keep your secrets. We agree to a set of rules and guidelines when we become licensed and every time that we have to renew our license. And one of the things is that we have to maintain confidentiality. So what you tell us, we really cannot just go around telling other people your secrets. There are instances where we may share material from our work and give examples. However, if we do that, we are absolutely not allowed to share your personal information. So your name or identifiers like what you look like or what kind of car you drive or anything like that that could potentially lead back to you. And there are a couple of examples of times where we need to or may choose to share that information. So for instance, for me, I present at um, professional conferences across the country And when I do that, I'm usually talking about my patients and the work that I do and the needs that my patients have. And I regularly refer to cases that I have seen and things that would be relevant to share with that audience, but I'm never ever going to give names or birthdays or anything that could potentially lead back to those people. So yes, we really do keep your secrets. Um, Number two, we do think about you between sessions. So my friend was very surprised by that. And if you think about it, your relationship with your therapist is just that. It is a relationship. It's unlike any other relationship that you have had in that it's a little bit (laughs) one-sided. They kind of know a lot about you and you may not know much, if anything at all, about them. However, it's still a relationship. And especially if you work with someone for a while, that relationship, it has its strengths and you've been through stuff together, right? So just like you may think about your therapist between sessions, we may think about you between sessions. Another example of that is if you mention that something's coming up for you between now and the next time that we meet, 
than your therapist may think about you then. So for instance, let's just say you were in session and you said that next weekend you were going to be confronting a family member about something. I don't know, I'm making something up. We may just casually be like, oh, it's the weekend. I wonder how so-and-so's conversation with the family member is going. And then we kind of just shelve that for when next we meet with you. So yes, therapists do think about you between sessions. Number three, we have so much paperwork. <laughs> I think one of the reasons why this is a little bit of a secret is because of what therapy looks like on TV and in the movies. You just show up to someone's office and they're sitting in their chair and they're scribbling in their notepad. Maybe some people don't write notes. Um, and then the session ends and the scene ends and it's on to something else. But there's a lot of paperwork that goes into therapy, things that you have absolutely no involvement in. Uh, a lot of therapists, especially those who accept insurance, they are running the billing. Um, some people have hired out people who can help them with their billing. Uh, but a lot of people that I know are doing their own billing. Um, we have to keep up with our notes. For some people like me who does assessment, I have to write detailed reports on every kid that I see. And those can be three or four pages long. For some other uh, psychologists who may do even more comprehensive testing than that, they may have 17, 18, 20 pages to write. So there can be a lot of paperwork involved in being a therapist. It's not just us talking our heads off. <laughs> Number four, your therapist may have gone to therapy and or they may be in therapy right now. Um, for me personally, I believe in the product that I am selling, quote unquote. And I tell people all the time that I am a huge advocate for mental health care. And that's not just because it's my profession. I believe in it personally as well. But the thing is, some people think that therapists have to go to therapy. And we actually don't. That is not a requirement for most therapists. There are some therapists who their theoretical orientation or the type of therapy that they do encourages them to also look inward at their own stuff. And so they are encouraged to go to therapy. However, it's not a requirement. Um, so that's basically four and five. Number six, your therapist may consult with other people. So sometimes when we have cases where the needs of our patients or clients are really unique or really complex, or we're not necessarily making the progress that we would like to be making, sometimes we may run those instances by uh, pairs or people that we know personally who are in the profession. Or some therapists may be part of a consultation group 
that meets to go over cases. And so we may share information about the work that we are doing and the goals and how things have been going to get feedback from other people. And it can be really helpful because there are blind spots that every human being has, and that includes therapists. We may not know what we may not know. And so it's helpful to have an extra pair of eyes or an extra set of hands to kind of guide us and maybe point out things that we may not have thought about. And secret number one remains in place. We keep things confidential. So it's still not going to be an instance of sharing all of this information about your personal life that can be led back to you. Number seven, this is related. We don't know everything. I wish I did. That would actually be a really cool skill to have. <laughs> but no, we don't know everything. We don't have the answers to everything. And we may not always know how best to help. We're highly trained, but we can get stumped on some things. And a lot of the time, what we do is we turn to the research we see what other people may have done. We may read up on things. We may go to extra training. Uh, we may do consultations, like I mentioned, just because we're not going to know everything. Another thing that we might do if we realize that we don't have the skill set that you might need is we may refer you to someone else who has that skill set. And that's really for your own benefit. It's not something to be offended by or feel uh, neglected for because essentially what we're saying is we care about you and we want you to get the help that you deserve. We're not able to provide that. Here is a list of people who can. We also make mistakes because we're human. Earlier this week, I said, despite my best efforts, I am still human. <laughs> so yes, therapists can and do make mistakes. Um, a good therapist will own up to their mistake and use it as an opportunity to address how it may have impacted the relationship with you um, in the hopes of hopefully strengthening the relationship as well as modeling how to be able to do that in your own personal life. But yes, we make mistakes. Um, we also continue to learn. That is an ongoing thing for us. For any therapist who is licensed, we have to complete a certain amount of continuing education over the period of our license. So where I live, psychologists have to renew their license every two years. And within that two-year period, we have to attend a certain number of workshops, um, conferences, things like that, that are geared towards teaching us skills related to psychology and to therapy and to the work that we're doing. So that is an ongoing part of the profession. 
And one of the reasons for that is because as time goes on, we're further and further away from our graduate school training and things change over time. And the way in which we can help people also changes over time. One example of that is providing teletherapy, doing therapy via video conferencing. That is relatively recent. And so there have been a lot of continuing education opportunities to help therapists kind of get up to speed on all of the rules and the regulations and so on for being able to provide therapy in that way. Um, It helps to also just have a refresher so that we are reminded of the things that we should be doing. So yes, we continue to attend workshops, not necessarily just for fun, even though I will admit that I am very much a nerd and I like going to the conferences and the workshops, Um, but also just because we have to in order to provide you with the quality of work that you deserve. Number 10, we want you to tell us if we've made a mistake or if you're unhappy with our working relationship. We are psychologists, we are therapists, we are counselors. We cannot read your minds um, despite the stereotype. And I have had several instances where people in my personal life have said to me that they felt like they were going to leave therapy or stop going to therapy because of something that had happened within the working relationship with their therapist. And I often tell them, first and foremost, you need to have a conversation with your therapist. Because for one, we may not even realize that you're upset about something. Because again, we cannot read your minds. Um, And two, the thing about therapy, like I said, it's a relationship. So if you learn how to address issues in a relationship in the safety of the therapeutic relationship, then that is a skill that can transfer over into your personal life. If you feel safe with your therapist, if this is someone who you're able to open up to, and you can tell them about the issue that has come up in your working relationship with them, and the two of you are able to process that and hopefully move forward, then that is a skill under your belt that can transfer over to your personal relationships, your professional relationships, and so on. It also just helps because If you leave therapy, suddenly we may not necessarily know why. And because we're human, we'll wonder what happened. So it's helpful to tell your therapist how you're feeling. And that actually also um, goes both ways. If you're happy, then let your therapist know too. (laughs) Number 11 we can end the therapeutic relationship just like you can end the therapeutic relationship. You can decide that a therapist is not a good fit for you or you don't feel like things are progressing and choose to end the working relationship. 
And therapists also are able to do that if they realize that they're not a good fit for someone. Like I mentioned earlier, say their skill set is not quite what the person needs, or if um, progress is not necessarily happening and maybe the person needs to work with someone who has a fresh set of eyes on the issues, the therapist can then talk with you about transitioning from them maybe to someone else or maybe to taking a break from therapy. And that is a conversation that would be had and not necessarily just once, it may be multiple conversations, but Yes, both people can choose individually to end the working relationship. Number 12, therapists can actually be triggered by your own experiences. So because we're human and we have our own lives and our own histories, you may talk about something in session that triggers us, triggers an emotional reaction in us based on our own past experiences. And a good therapist would not then use the the opportunity to sit on your couch or say, oh yeah, when that happened to me, blah, 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 and start crying their eyes out. A good therapist would not do that. Um, If your therapist is doing that, you may want to reevaluate. But what we typically do in those instances is we may go to our own therapist, if we have one, to process what happened. Or we may talk with friends of ours who are therapists who can help us kind of figure that stuff out. Or we may just tune inward to acknowledge what has happened and Uh, check in on what we may need to do to address that, to prevent that from happening in future sessions. But yeah, we are human. And um, the thing about human beings is we have shared experiences, even if it's not the exact same experience, it may be similar. And so it can bring up emotions for us as well. Number 13, we sometimes may choose to not tell strangers what we do. Um, Not because we're ashamed of it, but because a lot of people don't necessarily have healthy boundaries. And uh, you don't want to get caught in a situation where you're having to draw a line in a setting that may be uncomfortable. So for instance, you're on an airplane with someone next to you and they ask you what you do for a living. (laughs) If you are on a flight (laughs) across the country or going overseas, that may not necessarily be the best time to have someone know that you're a therapist because you have nowhere to go and you're going to have to figure out how to draw the boundary. I have had multiple experiences where I have told someone that I'm a psychologist and very often I get right after that, oh, can I tell you about my cousin, neighbor, friend, boyfriend, whoever it is? Um, I've had experiences in Ubers, 
where I've had to hear about the gory details of people's breakups and things like that. So sometimes therapists may choose not to tell people what they do for a living just because, like I said, we are human beings. And so we may not necessarily be in the position to want to necessarily um, console or uh, if we're on this flight across the country, we may just want to sleep. <laughs> and also, we are not allowed to work with people or provide guidance to people that we're not in a working relationship with. And so that kind of makes it a little tricky too. So sometimes it's just easier to just not tell people what we do. Number 14, we keep your file for years. And this is something that a lot of people don't know. Um, the rules for this vary depending on your location and what the laws are, what your licensing board says, and so on. Here where I live, if I see an adult for therapy, I have to keep their file for seven years. And it's a little bit more complicated if I see a minor. So if I see a kid, that has to be kept for three years after the age of majority, so 21, or seven years, whichever one is longest. So to tell you how complicated this is, let's say I see a 10-year-old, I would have to keep their chart until they're 21. If I see a 16-year-old, I'll have to keep their chart until they're 23. And there are a number of reasons why that might be. Um, we can be subpoenaed if there is a legal case that comes up. Uh, we may need to refer back to our session and our work um, if we have to provide documentation for something. Um, there are also instances where people leave therapy and then they return. And it's helpful to know what we did when we worked with them the first time around. Um, there are other reasons as well, but those are the major ones. And finally, for number 15, we hope that we're helping. I think at the end of the day, when we pack up and we go home, or for people who are working virtually, turn off the computer. We hope that we helped you that day. So if you have a therapist, remember that we cannot read minds. Please let your therapist know that they're helping you. <laughs> so I hope that this was a um, quick insight and it maybe revealed some things that you may not have known about our profession. And if you are not in therapy and it is something that you're interested in, please check out the website at healthywealthyroots.org. I have a whole tab on starting therapy, how to find a therapist, what it's like to go to therapy. And I made that because I get asked that question all the time. So that resource is available to you. Thank you for joining me today. 
please follow or subscribe wherever you're tuning in so you can catch the next episode. If you enjoy the podcast, please leave a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. That helps the podcast reach more listeners. You can follow me on Instagram at Healthy Wealthy Roots. Be sure to check out the website at healthywealthyroots.org. Most episodes have their own page filled with additional resources. Remember, our future grows from healthy, wealthy roots. One thing that a lot of people don't like to admit, myself included, is that they like to be in control. The thing, though, is that we actually are not in control nearly as much as we may think that we are, because the world is spinning around the sun and we have absolutely no control over what is going to happen next. The reason for that illusion of control is to help us to feel safe. We feel safe because we think that we know what's going to happen next. In order to deal with the need to have control, we're going to have to learn how to let that go a little bit. And in order to do that, it requires learning how to relax. And so the next episode, I want to talk about control and the need to have control and how to relax. I'm actually going to title it Relaxation Techniques for Control Freaks. (laughs) Tune in next time. The contents of this podcast are informational in nature and may not represent the results that you can get from working one-on-one with a professional.